Welcome to the Coaching for Leaders podcast. Hey everyone, I'm your host Dave Shep. Today we're going to be covering a range of topics on leadership, life purpose, goals, and what you're doing in your life to be happy. I'm a business coach, life coach, and I got a bit of woo-woo in me. I've been creating leaders for over 25 years, and I hope that this show inspires you to bring out your hidden potential and empowers you to live your passion. Let's go ahead and start today's show. And welcome everybody to episode 10. I want to I'm really delighted today because I'm joined by my special guest, Jay Hodge. He is the president and lean operations advisor for Jay Hodge and Associates. He's an author, public speaker, and all around good guy. So Jay, how are you? I'm good, Dave. I, I don't know if I'm as good as you make me out to be, but I, th- I think I'm okay. <laughs> I, I have to bring people in. They can determine oh, okay. themselves based on what they hear over the next hour. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so Jay, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for having me. What's uh, what is it that you'd like to talk about today? What, you know, what are we going? What are we going to help people with? You know, leadership. I think the biggest, the, what I find out there, probably more than anything, is that there's a a huge black hole of of leadership, and what people what people really want to understand in in how to become a great leader. And I think that's 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 probably the biggest void, in my opinion. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. What, uh, what does that look like to you? Like, how, how do you approach people with that? Well, you know, understanding the, the need um, starts with any organization, understanding the people. Um, you know, when I go into a new organization, it doesn't take long to really understand who the true leaders are and who the leaders that are struggling um, are because it becomes self-evident. And what's really interesting as, as we talk about this is if it's self-evident for me as someone who's just walked in and spent a week with the organization, think about how obvious it is for the people that have been in the organization for a year, two years, five years, 10 years, who are looking for leaders. Yeah, that, that is, that is been a big thing. When I worked in the corporate um, world and was moving up to different things, I always had the mentality of I'm going to be successful if I can make my supervisor look good and take stress off of him and do mm-hmm. things for him. Um, and, and you walk in and you're like, Hey, you know, I would always identify what his weaknesses were. Mm-hmm. And I was really good at that. And then once I identified his weaknesses, I would kind of fill in the holes be like, Hey, you know, you hate doing this. You're going to do that for you. And right. they'd, be like, they'd be like, yeah, take it, take it. It's all yours now. And then I, 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 it turned into me doing so many things to make him look good. And then people, he started shining and then his outlook started changing to where he was just being kinder to people and less stressed. Mm-hmm. You know, and then I was able to work with them and be like, hey, you know, if you, you know, this, this person had uh, a family member pass away, can we send them flowers? And they're like, no, right. we don't. they're like, no, we don't do that. And I'm like, we, we might not, but we should, right. <laughs> you know, right. and he's like, he's like, okay, here's my card. Yeah, it's little things like that to make your mm-hmm. leader look good. So then when I became my own leader, because this was in my early 20s, then when I became the leader, I made sure that always to do that and then always find people who would be able to say, hey, you know, you're being a jerk. You don't need to be an authoritarian to be a leader. That's right. You, you made a critical comment there. He says, you said your leader said, we don't do that. Wait a second. I'm the leader. I say, can, I say what we can do or not. And I say we do it. So, you know, as leaders stepping out of the, the boundaries of what we've been taught as leadership is, is absolutely critical. Because, you know, if you look at the, the defined boundaries of what most leaders in our organizations exist in, they're they're not the right boundaries but as leaders guess what it's our job to make the boundaries to define what effective leadership looks like so i've always found that a really good leader kind of rewrites his own job description 
Mm-hmm. And pe- mm-hmm. people are afraid of that, you know, and they're like, well, I don't know if I want to do that or not. Well, the reason that they're afraid of that is because it requires humility. And this goes back to something you and I were talking about before we started, what servant leadership looks like. And servant leadership always starts with humility. You can't be a servant unless you're humble enough to, to, to bend down. I had a CEO. I watched the CEO do this the other day. Um, I was walking through the hall at a hospital, and, and uh, there was a, an elderly patient, and her left shoe was untied. And in a suit, bent down in the middle of the hallway, and tied her shoe for. Now that may not not sound like a big deal, but for the for the elderly lady who was walking through the hall, who who needed to find a place to to tie her shoe, who probably would have had a difficult time doing it to begin with, it was ma- massive. It was and it was unbelievable that the the leader of that hospital would do it. But it was also amazing for the people that walked by and saw their leader bending down and tying someone's shoe. That screamed servant leadership. And if the if our if our CEO can do this, guess what? The expectation is that I'm as much of a servant. Mm-hmm. What for those listening who don't understand what servant leadership is? Can you give us kind of like a, a, a some outline of that or a bullet point of that? Sure. Um, it starts with a simple phrase: leadership isn't about you. I'm serious. I mean, a servant leader um, isn't a leader for themselves. They're a leader for you. If if you look at it really. A leader's job is to do nothing more than to create a vision and then um, give their people the tools they need to succeed, whether it be education, whether it be material supplies, um, equipment, whatever. Their job is to make sure that their, their team is able to, to uh, succeed. I, I use the example as a Marine that if I had a general come up to my group and look at us and say, listen, I want you to take that mountain right there. It all goes back to accountability. Okay, everyone thinks that well, I'm a now my group is now accountable to take that mountain. But to be very honest, if you look at true leadership, the leadership started with the general because the general can't expect me to take the mountain unless I have the air support, the supplies, the the ammunition, the transportation, everything that I need to take that mountain. They have to make sure I have it. So which means they were actually accountable to me before I was accountable to them. So they were accountable to make sure I had everything I needed to succeed, and then they could expect me to succeed. And the same thing applies outside the military, in hospitals, manufacturing. Same thing applies in leadership. Your job is to make sure they are set up and equipped to succeed. I, I love that. And, and that, that is exactly it. When I, when I was in retail, I was a retail manager, and I was a district manager uh, for Barnes & Noble for a while. And it, it was, a, uh, I'm sorry, Blockbuster video for a while. This was back in the 90s when Blockbuster was the, the powerhouse. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And it, it was interesting. But what, what was fun is I would go into a store and I would just identify everything that the, the manager did not have. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and it was sometimes it was soft skills. Sometimes it was just edu- training in general. Sometimes it was equipment, um, you know, marketing, all these different things. And you identify that and you go to, and then you go to them and say, hey, you know, this is what I think you need to succeed. All of a sudden, their their face lights up, and they're like, "Wow, you know, we, yes, I do." And then you give it to them, and then you set that expectation. Okay, so I'm going to give you these tools. So now, this is the expectation of this is what you need to do in, in order to be successful. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you know that that is one of the biggest thing. And then I it was always trust and follow up. I, I always trusted mm-hmm. them to do it, but always follow up. But I always told them um, if if uh, you know. Um, giving someone something to do without follow-up is just wishful thinking. Right, right. <laughs> exactly right. When, uh, when a leader becomes a servant leader in that, that shift, that, that humility shift, 
what what is one of the biggest obstacles that you've seen in order to get them to go to to have that mind shift um you know i don't think it's as much of, of the mind shift once a person decides to become a servant leader um, and they have the right heart and, and, and they're doing it for the right reasons. What truly becomes the biggest challenge, I believe, is um, walking the walk. Because it's very easy for me as a leader, whether I'm a CEO, president, to say this is where we want to go. You know, the senior leadership team and the, and the directors, they create this vision, the board of directors, everybody. We create this vision of where an organization wants to go. We want to we, this is what we want to become in one, three, five, 10, 15 years. Well, to do that. And if organization's really good is they'll also create tactical action plans that go along with that strategy or Hoshin Conry, whatever you prefer to call it. Um, but to create that vision is one thing, but then to walk the walk every single day is a completely different thing because it goes back to like at Toyota. When I worked at Toyota, there's a phrase called stop the line, stop to fix, which means that if you have a problem on the production line, you don't let that problem move to the next pitch or move on. You stop the line. At Toyota, I think it's over a million dollars. If you stop the production line, it's a million dollars of, 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 um, of your capacity you've just given away. You can recoup it through overtime, but it still costs a lot more. Same thing for, a, for an organization like a hospital or other manufacturing facilities. If, if we make the commitment that you know our, our job is to produce high quality and we're not going to pass um, quality defects onto a pay, to our customers the first time that we have a situation where we need to stop the line whether any type of organization and and hold to that commitment that we've made and we don't do it because i've got other customers screaming for their product i've got i don't want to pay overtime i don't want to do this i don't want to do that the first time that we go against what we've said we've gonna we're gonna do we've lost all that credibility so in my my mind it, it's not as much the mentality of become being a servant leader. It's it's the mentality or the ability to actually walk the walk once we make that commitment to ourselves and to our team and to our patients and customers. I, I love that, and, and I, I completely agree with that in so many ways. the The biggest thing that I have um, have had issues with is when I when I'm teaching someone this and, and letting them know, hey, if you want to get promoted, if you want to really be successful, if you want your name to be known, then um, again, walking the walk, doing these things, but they feel um, they feel overwhelmed. And it, at times, I had one client recently who just he gave up after like two weeks, and, and it was just like he's like, "Dave, it's too tough. I don't like doing this. I don't, you know, I don't want to do this." What What do you recommend? And and and, and again, my my gut reaction is, well, like just stop being a freaking pussy and get the work, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and and it's like, well, well, that was rude. I'm like, no, it's not. It's like you got to dig down deep to do the work if you want to be successful and stop thinking that everything is just going to be handed to you. Right, right. Well, and you look at it as a leader, um, our teams are, are looking at us and following our example. If we quit, it gives them the right to quit too. Mm -hmm. And it, it's kind of like using excuses. One of the first discussions I have with any new leader is I don't ever want to hear you make an excuse again. Don't ever make an excuse because as a leader, if I'm over 30 people, if I'm over 60 people, the first time I use an excuse, I have literally just handed every single person a pass to say the next time you don't accomplish what you've committed to accomplish or what we expect you to accomplish, here's your excuse card. Use it anytime you want. 
Yeah. And, and I, I'm finding that in my newer leaders, the ones who are like just out of college in their mid twenties, um, mm -hmm. they're, they're coming in with, with that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, again, I had, I had a client of probably about two weeks ago who was like, well, I don't know if I'm ready to work eight hour days. I think I'm just going to do six hours. And, I, and I'm like, I think you're with the wrong business coach. Wow. <laughs> wow. You know? and, and he taught me the term HSP and I didn't know what HSP meant. And I, I was like, I'm not familiar with that acronym. What is it? He's like, well, it's a highly sensitive person. And I'm like, okay. So I hadn't heard that before. And, and, I, and I'm like, well, why don't you want to work eight hours? And he's like, well, because my feet hurt when I work eight hours. And I'm like, dude, come on. You know, you, you've, you've been to college, you got your degree, you're ready to start in the workforce. You, you need to work a 40 to 80 hour week, depending on the job you want, depending on right. what, what you want for the future. And, and you can't go into an interview and saying, I just want to work six hour shifts. You know, it's not, mm -hmm. it doesn't work like that. And, and the, the idea of getting out of school right now and, and looking for a job and not knowing how to interview, not knowing how to do your resume, not understanding these things as an entry level leader, but then I'm finding it with leaders who have been in the industry in their in their chosen career for five or ten years that are trying for a promotion and they don't understand the politics of the organization. They don't understand what they need to do. They're very successful on their own, but the idea of them leading a team because they don't have the, right. the soft skills, the communication skills, um, mm -hmm. you know, and that's that's been the biggest problem. So, what do you recommend when someone is work is they have goals and they want to succeed? but they literally just don't have the training. What, what would you recommend for that? Well, when you, when you look at leadership, there's a couple of things. Um, when you're a leader of an organization or department, you got the management side. And, and, and this is something that I've, I've worked with a lot of organizations to understand is that we take really highly skilled people at a job. They could be a great engineer. They could be a great nurse. They could be great in retail and on, on, at the floor level. And we think that just because they've got phenomenal abilities at that level, that they're going to be great managers. So we promote them. And I'm ta I talk about this in my second book that will be coming out um, probably middle of next year, is that we take someone who's really good. We promote them to manager. We give them an office that they've never had before. They walk into the office. They've got piles of paper. They've got stacks and stacks of folders. They've got four reviews that are already done. They're already um, past due on a couple incident reports. And we expect them to, to succeed. So, you know, and, and then after that, we teach them how to do all the productivity, the payroll, all that good stuff. Then we turn around and go, you know what, maybe leadership skills would have been good too. Because it's one thing to communicate. It's one thing to be a peer-to-peer a -peer relationship on the floor with everybody else, but it's a, an entirely different thing it's a, it's a, an entirely different animal together altogether to be promoted to now be their supervisor and all of a sudden those fun conversations that you had in the break room of complaining about this and complaining about that or um the wi-fi goes out on the let on the the west side of the store and all you have to do is call your manager and say hey the wi-fi's out those aren't options anymore right now as the manager as the leader you get that call you have to make sure someone's fixing it. If you see, if you have five people that in your team that aren't getting along together, you got to figure it out. Mm -hmm. If you've got people that are complaining and whining about this, you just can't let it go. You have to do something and you have to be able to communicate effectively. You have to understand that out of 30 people on your team, all 30 people have different dreams. They have different goals and you have to be able to harness those passions for everybody. And we don't teach people how to do that. 
Right. We throw them into these roles and what happens in it. And then I talk about this is that we take someone who's a great, great technically, we promote them to manager. They struggle. We promote them to director. They struggle more. We promote them to senior leader. They struggle a lot. And then we promote them to vice president. And all of a sudden, everybody un underneath them is struggling as a leader. And we wonder why it's because we don't have a leader who knows how to lead, which, and we've got 10 people under them. Yeah. How do we get here? I don't know. <laughs> it, it it's so crazy um and, and i've i've seen that dynamic in so many organizations that, that i've helped over the years and, and and just being able to to help them rectify that is crazy you wrote the book uh the lean treasure chest yes what what uh can you can you uh spotlight that for and tell us what it's about sure sure lean lean is a, a very misunderstood concept um lean has been used for many 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 years in manufacturing especially toyota um, so if you know anything about Toyota, you understand you know, lean. Um, but lean is basically a way of looking at your processes and understanding that everything is a process in reality. If you think about it, name one thing that's not a process. Yeah, you can't. Exactly. Everything's a process. In fact, uh, thinking about what isn't a process is a process. Living is a process. Dying is a process. Breathing is a process. So lean is about processes. It's about understanding how a process is designed and understanding the waste that is embedded in a process, but that's not where it stops. And that's where a lot of people struggle is they think lean is about waste and it's not. Lean is actually about value because if you understand where, where a, how a process is designed and you understand the inefficiencies in it, you understand where the waste exists, you can remove that or reduce it to produce value. So lean is actually about understanding our processes understanding where the opportunities to improve those processes are and then improving them so that you can add additional value. Because if you think about it, um, our, our customers, our patients come to us for value. It may be in the form of a car, it may be in the form of, of heart surgery, but they're coming to us for the value and they're coming to us because they believe that we can produce or deliver to them more value than anybody else. That's why people drive a, a Toyota versus a Chevy. And Chevy's a great car, but some people prefer Toyota over Chevy. You know, if you look at the reports, I've worked for both GM and, and Toyota. They're both great cars. Believe it or not, I drive a Honda. I drive two Hondas. <laughs> I like Honda. They produce the value that I want better than any other car manufacturer out there. So lean is actually about value. It's all about, and, and the book itself is written so that people at the corporate level, the people at the board of director level, the people at the, um, uh, at the floor level, they can use these concepts to improve their processes. It's about engagement and, and understanding what we do on a daily basis and why. And I think um, on my last episode, episode 10, I had um, my, my guest was David Mort and he's actually a lean facilitator. So, mm -hmm. he, so he talked a little bit about this, what, what we're talking about. You went into a lot more detail. So, so this is a great segue from one episode to another. I, I, I appreciate that. You also created the dynamic elemental engagement system. What, what is that? So that's actually something I trademarked. It's, it's um, explained in my second, my third book. Um, dynamic elemental engagement is, is about engagement. And you've probably seen this. Every organization you go into, um, they say, man, if we could only engage our teams, if we could only harness our teams, um, what a difference we could make. Um, and what we could become is just, you know, the sky's the limit. But what a lot of organizations don't understand is that engagement isn't about logos. 
It's not about a new poster that we post all over the organization. Um, true engagement, I believe, um, from the system I developed, comes from four things. And if you're missing any of those four components, um, you're in big trouble. The four components are, and I'm going to make sure I say them right. Um, <laughs> I do that. Get yeah, because <laughs> when you've written when you've written several books, you start to uh, you know mix your <laughs> concepts up. Um, so there's four things. If you want to have true engagement in an organization, there's four things that are cr critical. The employees have to believe in themselves. Your staff has to believe in themselves. They have to believe that when I come to work every single day, I'm adding value. They have to understand that I'm important, that my opinion is valued, that my skill sets are valued, that I'm actually making a difference. Um, second thing is they have to understand um, you have to have um, a passion for the why. Simon Sinek did a, a great job of this years ago talking about the why. Why am I oh coming to work? Yeah. Um, I, I've used that for years. I, I would love to meet him one day just to thank him for, for um, talking about that. But it's the truth. If you talk to uh, you know, someone in a hospital, we think, for example, a nurse, you know, what is your passion? Well, my passion is patience. My passion is having a, a young person come in, if you're in pediatrics, come, come in with this situation and for us to be able to treat them and for them to walk out healthier, to, to make their family happy because parents are just terrified when they bring a child in. That's their passion. But the, actually, the same thing applies to someone who's tightening the bolt on a, a vehicle on the Toyota production line. You can walk up to them and, and ask them, why are you doing this? Why are you so passionate about doing it right? And you'll probably hear something like, well, because I know that in, 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 a, in three to four weeks, there's going to be a family of five in this vehicle. I'm doing it for them. Never going to meet them. Probably never even see this vehicle again, but I'm doing it for them. And that's their passion. Wow. The third is the, uh, the trust in the leadership. They have to trust the leadership. And the book goes a lot into leadership kind of like what you and I are talking about. There's a lot more to leadership than getting a, a company car, than getting a bigger office, than getting a, a, a plaque with your name on it that goes on the door or on your desk, and then getting a, a, a deferred compensation program. That's not leadership. Those are trinkets. Um, so it talks about trusting the leaders and, and trusting leadership, trusting my leaders means that I trust in the direction that we're pointing. I trust in why we're going there and I trust that they're going to do the right thing to get us there. Once I trust someone, I will follow them. Someone told me a while back or years ago, if you look behind you and no one's following you, you're not a leader. doesn't matter what your title is. You're not a leader. But then the fourth thing in elemental engagement, and this is where most organizations miss the mark. They, they, they understand the why. They get people passionate about the why. They help people believe in themselves. They created an environment where people trust the leadership. Um, but the fourth thing is, is, is critical. People have to be confident in their processes, which means I could, I could trust my leader. I could be passionate about the why. Um, I could believe in myself. But if I come in and, I, and I'm working in an environment where the processes are not designed or engineered to produce effective results, I'm always fighting obstacles. I'm fighting this. I'm fighting that. We're working around Band-Aids, blah, blah, blah. Every day is a struggle. You're not going to get engagement. You're not going to get engagement because it's like driving a car. It could be a Maserati. My co-pilot could be the greatest co-pilot in the world. And I could think that I'm the greatest driver in the world. But if I get in a Maserati and there's only three wheels, doesn't matter. 
I'm not going anywhere. And the same thing applies. So that fourth element, which is where I think that's why I created it is, is most organizations are really missing that point is people have to have confidence in the processes that they live with every single day. Oh my God. That is just, that, that's really good because I think one of the biggest things that um, people don't realize is if, like you said, if you're just missing one piece of this puzzle mm -hmm. that, that you've created, they, they, they can do it. One thing that really stuck out to me is you said, trust the leadership. Mm -hmm. So if somebody's, if somebody's listening to this podcast right now and they're, they're, we're sitting, they're sitting there and things that we're saying, they're like, wow, this is kind of resonating. I'd like to do it. However, I've been in position for a year now and I've completely screwed things over and people don't trust me. Um, it, how, how can I get that trust back? Well, let me give you an example from my, my leadership experience. You know, when, when we become leaders, um, we have this crazy notion that we can't make mistakes anymore. Well, we're, we're the leader and, you know, just because we made a decision, even if it didn't turn out the way we wanted to, it was the right decision. No, it's not the way it works. Um, it, it's kind of a, a double-edged sword because when you make a mistake as a leader, it's actually one of the biggest opportunities to grow that you'll ever experience. And the reason I say this is because when you make a mistake, you make a decision, it impacts some people and it impacts the organization in a negative manner. Um, you have an, an opportunity there to grow because hopefully you learned from it. Hopefully you've shared that learning with other people so that they don't make the same mistake. But you also have the opportunity to sit with your team and say, listen, as your leader, I made a mistake. I made the wrong decision. I was wrong. And I apologize. I know it impacted you. I know it had an effect on you. Um, but I, I'm asking you to forgive me and to trust me. What that does, and I've had leaders to do this, what that does is that brings that leader back to my level and it makes them real again. Because we've all had leaders who we thought were wrapped in Teflon. They were coated in Teflon. Nothing stuck to them. Uh, but all of a sudden, when we have a leader that's humble enough to say, I was wrong, I made the wrong decisions, and I'm going to try and do better, and I need you to trust me. Man, I'll follow you all day long. I'll follow you all day long. So the opportunity to grow from that, but to also develop a higher level of trust with your teams is unbelievable. You couldn't put a price on it. It's like the old, what was it, Visa commercials or uh, MasterCard commercial, priceless. It's absolutely priceless. <laughs> I, I love that. that and um, vulnerability, I talk a lot about vulnerability and, and it, it's hard. Um, especially for men sometimes to, to walk in and do exactly what you just said is, Hey, I made a mistake because, you know, I, I had a conversation with someone who said, well, Dave, I can't admit the mistake because that shows that I have weaknesses. Mm -hmm. And I, I said, yeah, but your weaknesses are your strengths because you will, if you learn from them, if you tell people, yes, I learned a valuable lesson because I just wasted a lot of resources and I made some really bad errors. Now mm -hmm. let, let's start fresh and let's do it over again. And, and they're afraid. They are so afraid of, because of the culture of the corporation um, right. to, to, to do this. Um, and so what I do, and when I'm talking to people, I'm like, okay, so let's, let's figure out how to teach you how to manage up as well as manage down. That's right. Yeah. So, so what, do you have any advice for managing up for people about, and what that means? Sure. Um, you need to have a relationship with your, with your leader. Um, and you have to be doing it for the right reasons. There's there's a lot of leaders out there that are self con self conscious because you 
I mean, think about when we go and we interview someone, what have you heard people say? Well, what do you want to be doing in 10 years? I want your job. Really? I, uh, okay. I hate that, that makes, answer. I mm -hmm. hate that answer. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So as leaders, um, you know, sometimes we, we are, we're self-conscious of the people that work for us because we think that they're trying to take our role. And so if I'm, if I'm working to manage up, I need to make sure that my leader understands that my job, that what I want to do is to make you look good. I want to make sure that you're successful because if I make sure that you're successful, I know that you will take good care of me and that you will help me grow. And, and, it, and it's critical for me as someone who wants to um, manage up is that I need to be honest with my, my leader. I've had many conversations with, with um, my leaders that say, where are my gaps? What can I do better? How can I serve you better as my leader? What do you need from me? And then, most importantly, not take it personal. I hate it when someone asks me a question and says, says, be honest. And I give them an honest answer and they go, oh, oh my, really? Well, you asked me, but, but that's how, we, how you really manage up to understand where their weaknesses are. And then you know, this is one of the toughest parts to manage up is you have to be honest with your leader to say, you know, for example, um, Dave, I know you're my vice president. Um, but we were in a meeting the other day, and I, I noticed that, that this took place. That's, that may be a gap that you have. That may be something, and I, I know I'm putting myself out on a, on a uh, platform right here, but I want to make sure that you know that that might be an opportunity for you to improve as a leader because I'm, I'm probably not the only person who saw it. And you know what? As a leader, if I have someone who will be honest with me to, to, to show me those gaps that I'm probably invisible to, Oh my gosh, what, what value is there in that? But it goes back to the relationships. Everything we do is relationship driven and people have to understand that, that what you do, if you're doing it for the right motives, they'll trust you. So. Yeah. And it's sometimes you have to, you have to really push yourself outside your comfort zone. I remember once um, I, my t I had gathered my team and there was about 25 people and my um, leader was coming in to give a, this big announcement and he shows up like 15 minutes before and the alcohol that reeked off him was insane. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, and I'm like, I'm like nervous because I'm thinking, okay, well, I smell it. If I smell it, other people are gonna smell it. I don't want to be embarrassed, but how do you, how do you broach that subject? So finally I, I just dug deep and I'm like, look, dude, he's, I said, this is my team. I said, if you go out there with the way that you smell right now, you are going to embarrass yourself. And he said, like, what, what are you talking about? I'm saying, you reek of alcohol. And I guess the night before was his wedding anniversary. And he was up to like 4 a.m. And, and they went out partying and all sorts of stuff. And, and he, he wasn't alcoholic in any way. He was very, very professional whenever he came into the store. But just this one time, and I'm like, you, you, I can't let you talk to my team like this. I, right. said, you, I said, you tell me the announcement. You tell me everything I need. You got 10 minutes to down, do your download. And then I just want you to leave and let me take care of it. And he mm -hmm. did. You know, he didn't take offense. He was like, you know, he gave me everything I needed, gave me my notes, and then he left. I did it, and then the next, uh, that later that afternoon, he called me, and and it was like one of the best conversations I've ever had with anyone I've ever worked with. He's because he said you totally had my back, and he let me not embarrass myself because mm -hmm. I didn't realize how bad of a shape I was in. I had to come yep. home and go back to bed. I was I was at that, um, and and it, it was good. But when you push yourself, when you dig deep, when you find that grit, and you're problem solving, and you're creative, problem solving with things, and you realize, hey my leader can't do this. I need to do this. I need to make sure. Um, and you're doing it for the, like you said, the right reason. 
Right. I, I think that's the biggest thing. Um, and mm -hmm. that was that was a big lesson for me. And it taught me that I need to make sure that I always manage up. Yep. I had a conversation and that that's a really, really good example. I think everybody listening to this probably relate to that. I had a conversation a couple of years ago with the CEO. I was meeting with him, the CEO of a hospital system. And we're sitting there just a one-on-one -on -one and he's talking to me about all these problems with this, this department and this department and this department. And then I just stopped him and I said, listen, why are you telling me about this? And he says, because we need to talk about these problems. I'm like, does your team understand these problems? And he said, yes. And I say, why are you and I talking about it? Why am I not talking with the people who are the leaders of the processes? And he's like, well, I thought I should. And I'm like, wait a second. When you go over your leaders' heads to talk to me about this, all you're doing is telling your leaders that you don't have the confidence in them to fix the problems. You and I don't need to be in the, in the weeds this far. I need to be in the weeds with them. And he stopped and he's like, Oh, you're right. And, and, you know, as a consultant, as a, as a, as a coach for, for organizations, that's a pretty brave thing to do because if I was to have offended that president, he could have pulled the 60 day clause and said, you know what, this really isn't working out. I'm going to go and pull the 60 day clause. You got 60 days left. Let's get done what we can. But you know what? He, the fact that I actually was, was um, willing to tell him that was a trust thing. I trusted it, and I cared enough about him and his organization to tell him the truth. And that's one thing about being a leader or even being a consultant. If, if, if all I do is um, feed you candy-coated stuff, I'm doing you no, no justice. All I'm doing is, is feeding cavities. But if I tell you the truth, and I'm willing to risk my own neck to tell you the truth, I must be doing it for the right reasons. Yeah, 100%. How do you teach a leader to understand different um, – communication styles because based off that conversation that you that you had with him um you understood his communication style um and then if but if if the vice president is so far up the weeds and he's trying to communicate to people and he's he's talking to all of his leaders the same way mm -hmm. have, you, have you ever had a situation where you had to explain how to lead people differently yes um and, and it goes back to understanding people and that's what we talked about a few minutes ago about we promote people to leadership positions, but don't teach them that every single person is different. Mm -hmm. um, so when I talk with a leader about something like that, we always talk about the fact that every single person is different. They all have different buttons that, that turn them on as far as their passions, right? So, you know, when I talk with a leader about that is you have to understand your people. I like to take notes about people. I like to take notes when I, when I meet people, you know, about their family, you know, their, their anniversary days, uh, what they're passionate about, what they like to do when they're not at work, because that really talks a lot about what a person does. You know, if I meet someone and they say, man, we love spending time with special Olympics on the weekends, being part of that, that tells me that they're a very compassionate person and that they're a heart person. Um, there are other people that are driven by, you know, promotions, other people driven by fancy cars, other people driven by parking spaces, other people driven by their kids. Understanding people and their hot buttons is, is critical, especially as a leader, because if you don't understand um, their, I guess you could call it their love language or their communication language, you could be talking, you're going to be talking Chinese to someone who's Korean. You're going to be mm -hmm. talking German to someone who's Japanese. 
you can be talking, but they're not going to be understanding what you're saying. So, you know, as a leader, you have to understand how to communicate with someone. Um, are they someone who's super sensitive? Well, you have to handle that very different than someone who's very confident and hunger, hungry to learn. You know, if, if you've got someone who's just begging you to tell me where your gaps are, you can be blunt and honest with them. But if you've got someone who struggles with self-confidence, you have to be a little more gentle with them. And you have to do it in a way um, where they still feel like they're, they're accomplishing and they're successful in their role. Even if they did make a mistake, I love leaders who can call you into a room, tell you the mistake that you made. But by the time you walk out, you are just on cloud nine because you know that they're confident in you and you feel good about yourself and you know what you need to fix. So getting to under understanding people plain and simple yeah and, and i i love that the i think the biggest thing for me was i was teach people is your review should never be a surprise both mm -hmm. when both when getting it and giving it so if you're a leader and you're giving a review and your employee is shocked about anything on that review then mm -hmm. you are not doing your job as a leader and you're not an effective communicator and you're not training and teaching and holding them accountable and setting expectations but it's the same thing with you. If you are going for a review and things on your review are a surprise, then, then your boss is not doing it. And you need to make sure mm -hmm. that you're letting them know, hey, why didn't you t tell me this four months ago when I could have corrected it to the point to where it had to turn into something that's on my review now? Yep, yep. You, you made a great comment there, um, expectations. I love talking with organizations about their goals and their objectives um, and walking in and saying, show me your scorecard. So what are your what are your objectives? What are your what are your uh, objectives in this organization? And I'll say, show me your scorecard, and they'll show me a couple metrics and say, well, this is this is our goal, this is our performance, this is our um, our quality scores, these this is our uh, um, our efficiency, our utilization. I'm like, no, show me your scorecard. Show me what you're reviewing on a daily basis with your teams, daily basis with your teams. Because if you're not looking at your, your, your performance versus your expectations on a daily basis, you know, if you're one of these companies that review, we have a meeting at the beginning of the month. Hey, at the end of the month, we want to be here. We meet again at the end of the month. We didn't meet our goal. Oh, my gosh. Why did we not meet our goal? We all sit in a room, hold hands, sing campfire songs. What was us? Um, but how would we know why we didn't have our goals? This, this, it's critical. I, I love these kind of conversations is because the fact that we didn't hit our goal isn't the worst part. The fact that when I ask the 10 people in the room why, and I either get 10 answers or no answers is the key. Um, and, and it goes back to expectations. Expectations are basically the recipe for success. If, if I have a group of 20 people in my department and I haven't set clear expectations, how can I ever expect them to succeed? I haven't told them what success looks like. It's kind of like creating standard work. Standard work is defining what success looks like. This is the recipe from A to Z. This is what I do. I end up with this results. If I don't do A to Z in the order, I don't get this results. No surprise. Or <laughs> I love it when organizations say, um, well, we're having quality issues. Well, show me your process. Show me your standardized process. Show me your work instructions. Well, we don't have any of that. Well, then how can you ever claim to have a problem if you haven't defined the process to, to deliver your output? You don't have a problem. You have a result. There's a difference between a problem and a result. So, yeah. 
Sorry, I dev- I, di- I digressed a little there. No, I love it. That, that's awesome. I, and I completely agree with you. What? Uh, so I think both of us have probably had this happen to us, and I'd, I'd like to hear your take on it. What do you do when you're working with a vice president and you realize that he's he's good at his job, he's okay at it, but he absolutely has no passion for it. He hates his job. He hates um, what he does. He, he likes the company. He's nice. He, he does it because he gets a paycheck. But he himself feels like he's dead on the inside because he's not living his own passion. But he's making too much money to quit and pursue his passion. Mm-hmm. And when and when you identify that, how do you how do you tell him that? Hey, I think you need to tap out. Have you ever had that kind of situation? I have, and I don't. I don't. I don't tell someone they need to necessarily tap out. The conversation I have is, what are you passionate about? Why did you Why did you get into this role? You're exactly right. People we, we have in, in different industries, we have a tendency to promote someone and all of a sudden they get to the director, senior director, VP role. And, you know, the deferred compensation package is really nice. The parking spots, mm-hmm. really nice. The end of year bonus is really nice. Those expensive client dinners, those are really nice. The, the prestige of being vice president or president is really nice. Man, the problem is, we start to incorporate that into our identity. So instead of our identity be being based upon what we're passionate about, becoming, doing, it becomes our identity becomes tied to our compensation package, our benefits. And that's when people lose the passion. They really do. And we, we've all seen that. So the easy, you know, from when I've had that conversation with leaders, and it could be a leader at a manager level. It could be at a VP level. It could be at a president level. In fact, I, I, I've known a, a, a CEO who was in that situation. We had this conversation. What are you passionate about? I mean, if, if, you, if, if, if the money was the same, zero, for doing anything you could do, what would you do? What would, what would complete you every single day, even if it was a 15-hour day? What would you walk away from going, man, I loved that? And yeah, – it's just getting people to step back and understand who they are and what they really want to be and what they're passionate about. And, you know, I've had, I've seen vice presidents step away from an organization, take less money and be twice as happy and more content and more fulfilled because the money isn't fulfill you. The money is a trap. And a lot of times we end up with, with a, a, an enormous paycheck and we buy the bigger house. We buy the other cars We put our kids in, private schools we buy all this stuff go on these big vacations and all of a sudden we realize that actually over there is what i really love to do but it only pays about 70 percent as much i can't go over there now i've fallen into the trap yeah and, and that's a big part and finding that passion that life purpose when i have these conversations with them um and I, it seems like at least 80 percent of the time they want to open up their own business Mm-hmm. And, and they don't know how, and, and they, they like what they do, but they think that they would like to do something just a little bit. There's something more passionate about and, and teaching and, you know, working with them and say, Hey, you know, I, I don't, I don't have any passion for this job. I would love to have to do an offshoot of this business, but I'd like to be my own boss and do this and, and serve a different industry um, mm-hmm. with these kind of ideals, but I don't know how, um, right. you know, and, and so, the biggest thing with that is just teaching them, hey, you know, you had the skills, you made it to the VP level, you have a lot of the skills, you're a good servant, maybe you've done these things, you're just unhappy yourself. So it's time mm-hmm. to be a servant unto yourself, right? In, in, in a lot of ways. And mm-hmm. people don't understand that, that their happiness 
like you said, it, it sometimes the money trap hits you. Um, and there are ways that you can go in and you can live on a 70% lifestyle, or you can take the, you have enough savings that you can mm -hmm. say, Hey, I'm going to take a chance for myself and my family and my happiness and mm -hmm. getting, you know, telling people that, Hey, it's okay to take a chance to become an entrepreneur, solopreneur. Um, but, but it's going to be hard and you're going to be working that 15 hours a day. But I think you and I, we, you know, we own our businesses. Uh, I know, I, I think we both work, I mean, here it is the day after Thanksgiving on Black Friday. We're not out shopping, you know, for Christmas presents. We're mm -hmm. working, you know, we're, we're letting people right. know, we're letting people know, hey, this is what you need to do to be successful. And we're going to hear and help you and coach you with this and guide you. Um, so, but this is what we do. But for me, it's, it's not work. Right. Like it, it's so much enjoyment when I, when, when the, I look at my calendar today and I'm looking at everything I got going on. There's nothing on it that, that's overwhelming at all um, mm -hmm. because I just feel so happy. Yep. You, you made a very, very good um, point a few seconds ago is they're scared. And mm -hmm. um, a, a good analogy is that if, if one of your children was at risk, you would do anything, literally anything to, to take care of them, to save them, right? But when we look at, you know, our passions, my passion's over there, but it requires me to leave my job. I'm comfortable. I'm content. I'm safe. And safety is a very nice place to be. And so when people realize their passion is, isn't on the pedestal that they're sitting on, it's a pedestal way over there, and it requires them to jump this big canyon, um, they struggle with that because – when someone says, I just don't know how to do it, that's an excuse. Plain and simple, it's an excuse. If, if you want to know how to do it, there's a lot of people out there that will help you do it. There's people like you and me that will give advice and, hey, this is what I did. This is one of the mistakes I made. Don't make this mistake. We both made them. I have no doubt. Um, but if someone wants to do something bad enough, they'll find a way to do it. They just have to get past the fear of the unknown. And I have a friend who just started his own um, own company, and it was terrifying. I understand exactly what that was like, leaving a very nice position to follow my passion. But I'm sitting here doing what I want to do. And I'm sitting here um, you know, writing books. I'm working with organizations, helping them become what they want to become. I'm doing what I'm passionate about. And, and you know, there's not there's not a paycheck out there that that is more highly compensational than that, than that. So I completely agree. What um what advice do you have for someone who have they've mastered their servant uh, servant skills, they're they're doing good, their their business is successful, they're working hard, but they they're working so much that they don't have good life slash family balance. Do you, do you have any, uh, advice, any advice for that? Sure. Um, and I'll, I'll be honest, I'll be 100% transparent. When I started my own consulting company, I got caught up in the fact that the more you work, the more money you make. <laughs> and so, and it's, it's a lot of consultants get caught into that trap, get caught in that trap. Um, there's one thing about a passion when someone finds their passion is, is balance. Um, there's a, you can be so passionate about, anything but you have to have priorities and my priority for me my, my number one priority will always be my family i lost sight of that when i first started my my consulting company and it was a wake-up call when my wife and i had that discussion and i give her and my son all the credit um, but it was a wake-up call and what i found is that when i tapered back the amount of time that i worked i was so much happier and, and even, almost even more importantly i was more successful 
because when I when I keep my priorities where they're supposed to go, everything else falls in line. I was better at what I did with my clients when I had my priorities straight because I, I was going four and five weeks at a time traveling, being home for a week and just it was a mistake. Um, so, you know, understanding that that uh, understanding what your priorities are um, and putting them in line and keeping them in that order at all times is absolutely critical because when they're out of order, it screws up everything. It screws up everything. So it really does that, that whole that whole balance thing. I, I work a lot mm -hmm. with people. I work a lot with people on, you know, physical, emotional and spiritual all, all three you have to mm -hmm. you have to focus on all three if you're focusing too much on one and you and or just on two you, you're not in balance you know nope. and all things in moderation and, and i would say just because you can do something doesn't mean you should <laughs> you know that's a big yep. one exactly you know? right. and, and then you know my other one somebody told me this years ago and it, it like it was life-changing and it was my mother-in-law and she goes you you just don't you don't have it because you don't want it bad enough Mm -hmm. And then it was like mic drop, you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. and I'm like, the whole room got quiet and I'm just sitting there because I just went on this little tangent of why I don't have this. And I'm like, okay, you know, and then I like the whole drive home. I'm like, I'm like bitching. I'm like, I can't believe she said that in front of everybody. But then I'll tell you what, I got home and the next day I went to work and I haven't stopped since then. And within, within two years, I got my, my, what I wanted at that point, because I worked mm -hmm. my ass off to get it. And to this day, I'm so grateful to her. I tell her all the time, I'm, what other words of wisdom you have for me? They're going to change my life. Oh, you know? <laughs> it's absolutely true. My wife and I, my wife, Barbara, we've been married for 33 years. Um, you know, when we had the discussion that kind of reset um, my priorities, I had forgotten that, you know, owning my own company and providing for my family, that was my priority. But what I failed to take into account is that her and I were a team. I needed to understand her priorities because her priorities should be fitting in with my priorities too. They have to match. Otherwise, we're not on the same team. It's like, it's like uh, you know, being on a, a strike team in, in, in the military. Everybody on that team better have the same priority or same goals. Otherwise, you're going to be going in different directions. And that's what we found. And, and she is, she's so wise. You, you made a great comment. She, my wife is so wise, and I've utilized her wisdom over the years so many times. So, Yeah, it, 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 having, a, having a partner that supports you at home and, and so they're mm -hmm. able to go out in your career. And, and I always tell people the best relationships, whether it's a romantic relationship, a friendship, or a work relationship, is both of you want each other to be successful. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have friendships where... They they dedicate and they're like Dave. I want you to I want you to learn this. I want you to do this. I I want to do this for you so you're gonna be successful. And this comes back to the self love and worthiness we talked about earlier. Is some people if they don't have that self love and they don't feel worthy, when someone offers kindness to them, they'll turn it down. Right. Yeah. You, you know. And realizing that if, if you're a leader and someone walks up and says, Hey, I'd like to mentor you, that's gold. You, mm -hmm. you know, if if somebody who is doing very well in their company comes and says, I want to be your mentor, feel worthy enough to be able to say, I don't know what that means, or, or I'm embarrassed to say I need help, but yes, please let, let, let's do it. Uh, take right. that, take that leap is what I, what I coach people to do. And then being able to ask someone for a mentor, like a peer is always afraid to ask another peer for a mentor because they're afraid to right. look weak. So it's so teaching people, Hey, if you got, if you're in a sales industry and you've got different departments and one sales manager is doing exceptionally well, you need to reach out and say, I want to, will you mentor me? And he, uh, like mm -hmm. Dave, I, Dave, I can't do that. He's a peer. 
bull crap do it because it's gonna it's gonna gonna build a friendship that's gonna last for years Mm -hmm. and and even the person who's a phenomenal salesperson is gonna learn from the other person that's the great thing about a mentoring relationship is that when if someone comes to you and says i want to mentor you they're basically saying i see potential in you that you don't and I want to I want to recognize and realize that potential. I want you to become who you have the potential of becoming, and I want to be part of that. So it's as much about you. But the interesting thing about our mentoring relationship is that when I've mentored people, I have learned so much about myself and my gaps as I'm mentoring them. So it's not just about the the mentee growing; it's about both people growing. Yeah, that, that, and that's gold. And I, I love being both the mentee and the mentor. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been both several, several times in my life and the relationships I mean, my very first mentor, I'm still friends with him and it's been 30 years, Yep. you know, and, and it's just, I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for his belief in me. In fact, that was the name of my first company was potential in everyone. Oh, good. Because as a, as a coach, I, 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 I have a gift of being able to see people's potential mm-hmm. um, on, on all levels. Um, and I, they walk in and people always laugh at my interview style when I first started because my interviews are quick. They're down and dirty. Right. And people, people never understood that. And they're like, I don't understand how you can hire someone within three minutes of getting to know them or knowing that you're going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just like, I, I can't, you know, I can't define it. I can just tell you that I see their potential and, and I, I base my questions and I know from, from when they walk in the room, what energy they bring into the room with them, right. you know, in, in a lot of ways. And I, I remember my, the last job, the last corporate job that I left, uh, I had a team that was, they were like a family because I, I worked hard to make sure that that team was in, in, uh, incredible. When I left, they actually promoted my assistant to the, the leadership role. And, and I, I advocated for that, but it wasn't even a hard sell. It was like, oh yeah, let's just do it. So he took over. He remained intact, or my entire team remained intact for three years after I left because that's how good things were going then they brought then they brought in one um senior manager level who was just a complete utter jerk (laughs) and within six months he literally destroyed that entire team Mm -hmm. because of his totalitarian demeaning style wanting to come in and change things that weren't broken you know when you're when you're a leader and you take over department and your first day you're making changes you need to be more observant and you need to listen. You have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Get to know your team. Get to know the situation. Get to know everything before you make changes is my best advice I can give to people right now. How do you feel about mm-hmm. that? Absolutely. It's kind of like someone, uh, um, I've got a Toyota. Let's say I've got a Toyota out there and, and all of a sudden someone else buys the Toyota. And all of a sudden what they start doing is they start exchanging or, or changing out the parts from Toyota parts to Yugo parts, Yugo. <laughs> that was that was a winning combination right there, wasn't it? When a leader does the same thing, they walk into an organization without understanding that that team is already successful or where they're successful and where they're struggling. All of a sudden, they start changing all these things. It's really no different. You take a, a, a freaking Lexus and start switching parts out with Yugo parts. It's the exact same thing. You end up destroying the, the capabilities and the potential of that vehicle. So- yeah. yeah, no, 100%. I love that. So how can listeners reach out to you? Um, easiest way is through my company website, www.thelettergehodgeassoc.com. Um, 
the book, um, the lean treasure chest, it's on Amazon, Kindle, um, audible. So it's available out there. Um, and if they really need to, they can call me anytime on my company phone, 812-789-6404. So I'm out there. That's awesome. And I'll, I'll put all that information in the show notes as well. Jay, it, is, it has been a pleasure today. I mean, it's so, so nice to meet a kindred spirit, but also it, it's just nice to, to know that um, you know, you're out there helping people and you dedicate your life to, again, service. And, and, well, and, and, and I'm very privileged to have you on my show. Thank you. Well, I'm very, very blessed and it's a privilege and thank you for all you do. And I appreciate what you're doing through this podcast. Thank you. And if you want to, if you guys want to reach out to me, uh, my Instagram is dave.shep and then my website is daveshepconsulting.com. So thank you very much. I'll talk to you all next week.